This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Good evening, Steeler fans. Welcome to another Wednesday night. And if it's Wednesday night, that means here on Behind the Steel Curtain, this is when we would normally turn our attention to the Steelers' upcoming opponent. But there isn't an opponent this week. So this week on Know Your Enemy, we're going to be looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers themselves and asking, are the Pittsburgh Steelers their own worst enemy? Here with me, as always, Shannon White. Shannon, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, glad to see Nick and have him with us. And, um, and you know, disappointed that they didn't make the playoffs, but I'm pleased with how the 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 season ended, you know, as far as a four-game winning streak. So we'll get into that. But um, it's always disappointing to see another stellar season end. Always. The offseason is, is – there's not truly an offseason, but it's much better when there's, when there's live games to look forward to. <laughs> Here with us to talk all about the Steelers, Nick Farabaugh. Nick, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. You've been here a number numbers of times. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, guys. Uh, as always, thanks for having me on. It feels a little weird um, to be in the off-season mode, but honestly, we're kind of, what, three days into it, and it's already been very, uh, very <laughs> off-season-y, um, for sure. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, today... <laughs> is the exact inflection point where I was like, oh, we're in that area again. In that area. <laughs> yeah. Have you, uh, have you been enjoying the online drama over uh, Steelers players, coaches? Apparently Deontay Johnson did or did not post something to his Instagram post. And so it's a big deal. <laughs> Deontay Johnson. Unfo- so Deontay Johnson posts a cryptic tweet and then he was never following the Steelers and never had Steelers in his Instagram bio, and everyone just ran with it. Um, it's just it's just the off-season cycle, right? Uh, oh, cryptic tweet. What's happening with Deontay Johnson? Uh, guys, nothing's happening with Deontay Johnson. He is staying here. There's nothing that's going to happen there um, until maybe the Steelers get through free agency. And I don't think so. So, yeah, it, it's... It's manufactured drama, right? You got to entertain yourself somehow if you're a Steelers fan, and I guess that's how you can do it a little bit. Well, let's let's, let's head straight into the second biggest drama of the offseason. Will they or won't they? Matt Canada, do you think he's around next? Just throw it out now before it actually is, is even relevant. Do you think Matt Canada is, is a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers next season? Well, before Monday, I thought he definitely wouldn't be. And then I kind of started to have second thoughts. Um, I still don't think he will be, though. Um, And here's the thing, right? His contract runs through 2023, um, which is kind of the wrinkle here. Um, Randy Feetner kind of just got let go, right? They they didn't fire him. His contract just ran out. Same thing with Todd Haley happened. Um, Like, those contracts just ran out. And the Steelers don't really like firing coaches. Um, We have known that. But... I think this is a different scenario for one big reason. And that one big reason is, is number eight. Um, I, I just think when you have a young quarterback, right, you, you got to put that guy first priority. And sometimes that requires breaking organizational trend you know, tradition. Um, I, I really think that. Um, and so, you know, I don't think Matt Cannon is the guy um, for Kenny Pickett to grow with. Uh, it doesn't mean, I think Matt Canada's. I don't necessarily think Matt Kenna is a great offensive coordinator. Um, I don't think he's as bad as people think he is either, right? Like, I think there are a number of offensive coordinators that are worse in the NFL than him. Some of them in the playoffs right now, by the way. Yeah. Um, look at what they do with Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. You tell me Joe Lombardi's better than Matt Canada. I'm sorry, I can't. Um, Matt Canada's not good, though. Um, and the reason is he's just a he's a run-first offense, right? Like, the, the predication of the Matt Canada offense – 
the motions, the shifts, um, the, sh the everything that you see is to work in the run game. Essentially, the pass game is secondary. And, like, you look at everything that Metkin has done in the past with James Conner, Monty Ball, uh, at Northern Illinois even, um, it's all run, run game based. The passing game isn't really the focus of that. And I feel like, to me, if you want a guy to come in and really help Kenny Pickett, he's probably going to have to be a guy that's like more quarterback focused, more passing focused. Um, and there's a number of names that could fit that. But I think that's the main reason to me why you can't really bring in Matt Kenna because he's not really good enough of a run game type of first coordinator to where you're like, okay, we'll keep him anyways because he's really good at his job and he's not really a quarterback guru. So to me, it's just not the marriage right now that the Steelers want. I felt during the second half of the season, a lot of the success was due to the the schedule, you know, really eased up and the, the quality of opponent. And I felt like that a lot of the success was in spite of, instead of because of uh, Matt Canada. You know, I don't know how much it will affect Kenny Pickett to change offensive coordinators when, you know, that was about as simplistic of offense as you're going to see at the NFL level. And I don't think he, we was talking before the show, Canada does a poor job of scheming receivers open and, and playing off the successful running game. They did not play action. I think it was like the 29th least amount in the NFL. Um, it was, you know, if certain personnel was in the game, you knew a run was coming. I mean, it was just, you know, when people were pointing that out on a weekly basis, the announcers and all that, uh, that doesn't bode well uh, for the capabilities of your offensive coordinator. One of his biggest supporters uh, made a comment to me in one of our discussion threads that bring in a passing coordinator to help him. Well, if you got to do that, then why don't you just replace him with somebody who's qualified to do both? Because, I mean, his run game – you know, that's pretty creative, and it's been effective. And the offensive line took up that challenge in the second half of the season and did a great job, even when everybody knew it was coming. And, and they really, do, you know, established that running game, which I've been begging for for years now. But, um, you know, if they don't bring him back, which, you know, I'm all a fan for letting him go, um, you think a guy like, uh, say, a Pep Hamilton or a, a – somebody of that nature who they interviewed before would be a good option and somebody that's more quarterback friendly. Yeah. I think Pep Hamilton makes sense, right? Worked with Andrew Luck um, early in his career. I think that's his main thing has worked with young quarterbacks, right? Just got done working with Davis Mills. And to be quite honest with you, he's gotten more out of Davis Mills. than I think most coaches would in that situation, it's probably one of the worst situations in the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Davis Mills isn't good, but Pep Hamilton's gotten more out of him than he probably should have. Um, worked with Justin Herbert early in his career, right? Pep Hamilton has done this rodeo before. I like that fact. Um, I think you also look at a guy like Frank Reich making a lot of sense, right? There's a lot of spottiness in that resume, but very good scheme fit um, for Kenny Pickett. I'll tell you someone who I'm very keen on, and I think the Steelers are actually going to look at. Um, I have no inkling on that. I just feel like he fits a Steelers kind of offense coordinator. How about Todd Monken down in the University of Georgia? Like, he mm. – you you watched what he did on Monday, right, in the national championship game. Well, this is a guy that also has NFL experience. And when he last was in the NFL, what, the Freddie Kitchens Browns? I mean, let's give him a – let's give him like a mm -hmm. – let's give him a, a, a free pass for that one. And then when <laughs> he was with the, the Buccaneers, they had the third best offense in the NFL, but he gets let go because Bruce Arians wants to put in his own scheme. Todd Monken is probably a guy, to be quite honest with you, who fits what Kenny Pickett needs the most, which is a guy that can really diversify the passing concepts, a guy that has worked with a lot of quarterbacks similar to Kenny Pickett. And then I think the other thing that really I really like about Todd Monken is he doesn't really change the run scheme that much from what they have right now. So the offensive line, mm -hmm. the running backs, will still be able to kind of fit that, and he has no issue imposing that run game if it's working so it's not like you're going to take the strength of the Steelers right now which has been their run game in the second half of the year and just be like no we're just going to pass it 40 times a game for Kenny Pickett's sake no it's just going to be a more kind of focused guy but there's there's a lot of names out there uh, I mean 
you could look at a Jim Caldwell who's been around um, a, a lot um, in the NFL. There's a lot of guys out there um, that I think could make sense uh, for Kenny Pickett and kind of what he wants to do and what he needs to do. Um, I think my favorite right now is probably Monken. I think Pep Hamilton's probably second there. Um, I, I really like those two uh, kind of profiles of, okay, guys that have worked with young quarterbacks that have developed them. And then you kind of see the pass first uh, approach to where they can go uh, and help Kenny Pickett really grow. So I think the Steelers right now just need to focus if they do get rid of Canada on, okay, who can help our quarterback the best? Because whatever you do this off season, the first thing that has to come to mind is how does this help Kenny Pickett? Really? Mm-hmm. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that. I want to, I want to get your opinion, uh, step back and overlooking the whole offense. Uh, what would you say the heading out of this season, right? Before we do any roster change or anything, what is the strength of the offense uh, heading into the next season? And what is, what is your biggest, what is the weakness of this offense heading into the next season? Well, I think that the easy answer to, well, what is the strength is the run game. Um, and it's not that the offensive line is something that's great, right? But they have two really good running backs and the offensive line has a really good reputation together as a run blocking unit. I think they leave things to be desired with uh, in the pass protection <clears throat> unit. Um, but I think that they are a good run blocking team. Um, I also think that they have a really good stable of tight ends. I think that's a big thing. So you can be personnel multiple, um, because Pat Farmuth is going to be there. Uh, I think they'll bring back Zach Gentry, and rightfully so. Um, he's been a very solid tight end, too, in his blocking role. And then you have Connor Hayward, who is kind of like – you can use Connor Hayward kind of however you want. He could be a fullback. He could be a wingback. He can be an H-back. He can be a tight end. You could split him out wide as a Y or an F. Um, you can do so many things with that guy. So they have a really good stable of backs, and they have a really good stable of tight ends. What that means is they can really work anything from – 13 personnel to 22 personnel. They can be personnel multiple. So I really like that because it gives their game plans, in my opinion, a very diverse ability to kind of match up against defenses as they wish. I think that has been one of the big things people kind of haven't noticed is that the Steelers have been able to deploy a lot of different strategies on the ground and even through the air against different teams because they are so personnel multiple because of their tight ends and running backs. Um, So I think that's their strength. Um, I think the receiver room needs some work. Um, I think it's a bigger need than people think. Uh, I really do. Um, Deontay Johnson is good, but he is maddeningly inconsistent. And we know that. Um, but he is a guy that is really the best, one of the best separators in football, right? I mean, it's hard yeah. to replace that. But where the running backwards thing come from, I don't know. He didn't have that when he first came here. Um, I think his drops are a little bit overrated. I don't think he has like a lot of egregious drops but i just don't think he makes a lot of like tough catches right like yeah. he doesn't really make a lot of the combat catches um so that's an issue uh george pickens is great i love george pickens i think he's a freak show um I, every time i watch george pickens i just think he's gonna just unzip the alien suit and a green guy's gonna walk <laughs> out i mean he is legitimately a freak show um but outside of those two like is there really anyone else uh you're kind of banking on uh steven sims is a nice depth piece depth piece i think i think they have a nice piece there but miles boykin really just a really good gunner which is valuable but in the receiver room eh. um calvin austin i know his potential but this is a fourth round rookie that's coming off Liz frank surgery i mean you can't really bet on calvin austin being something until he shows you he can be something um gunner olszewski non-factor um and then outside of that you got like cody white jamarcus bradley and Maybe Anthony Miller or something. He's still on the roster, but he was out with a shoulder injury. So that's an issue to me. Um, I think you need to become more dangerous. Uh, I think you need a speed element in this offense that is sorely missed. I don't think they have that. I think that is actually kind of the biggest need on the offense right now, aside from offensive line. Um, I think I think that left side of the O-line still needs work. Um, but that's kind of where I see the strengths and weaknesses of this offense right now. I want to I want to follow up real quick uh, with your tight ends and running backs. One of my favorite thing was seeing the Steelers use a thirty two personnel set where they had all three tight ends, Derek Watt and Najee Harris out there, and they used it really well. Like that that was a really good set for them uh, for a couple of games there. 
And and I also want to say, like, the I want to follow up with that and say, uh, with a Pat Fryermuth, with a Connor Hayward, how big is a number three receiver for this team? Or is this a team that should be using multiple tight ends? And maybe like uh, we saw in the big pass play to Connor Hayward this time, line him up in the slot, line Fryermuth up in the slot, uh, bring in a fullback more often. You know, it, it, even Jalen Warren going out is, and lining up in the slot has, has worked pretty decently. How is, is that a feasible option for this team? Or does this team really kind of need to get back to the 11 personnel, you know, format that most of the league follows? Well, it could definitely work, right? The 49ers have done this for years in the Shanahan yeah. scheme, but they still have three or four viable receiver options. And what they have in the 49ers scheme is speed. And Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are fast, 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 right? Like that's kind of what the 49ers team is known for is their speed. Um, so, yeah, I think the Steelers can base themselves out of kind of what they have um, in terms of, sure, we can be tight end multiple, we can be – running back multiple, we can do all these different things, but well, who's going to be the guy when you need to pass the football. And and I don't know if they have necessarily a speed element. And I think that's what they need. Um, I, I think that they need someone that can one game break on jet sweeps, right? Just who can be yeah. the game breaker? Um, because right now the most of jet sweeps going for 25, 30 yards on Steve Sims is kind of go ball. Um, but I, I don't see that speed element, and it's not going to allow safeties to respect your run game as much, right? Because easily next year, what they can start doing is they can creep that safety down, and are you going to be able to block it again? I don't know, because I, you know, a full offseason to kind of marinate on the blocking schemes. Well, teams don't have any reason to sit in too high against the Steelers if they're just going to run the ball and they don't have any element over the top. Really, their only explosive play element uh, through the passing game is throwing it to George Pickens down the sideline. Um, I think they need someone that's fast and that can win over the middle and that can win vertically. Um, that could have been Calvin Austin. I think that's why they got Calvin Austin, um, but we didn't get to see him there. Um, they could just use a guy that could separate too. I think they are one injury away from really being in a world of hurt. Deontay Johnson gets hurt. They are in a world of hurt. Um, they need, they have needed a guy that can separate consistently from the outside, outside of Deontay Johnson, probably since 2020. Um, they need one. Um, and so it doesn't mean it has to be the first pick. It definitely doesn't. But should it be one of the first four picks? Yeah, I, I truly believe it. Um, if the Steelers draft a wide receiver in the second round, don't be surprised. That's all I'm saying. They do it every year, right? They do it every year. It feels like. They probably need one this year, and the Chase Claypool trade is great. And it, I mean, look at the value they got on that. That's gonna be the thirty-second pick in the draft. But he also left the void. He was supposed yeah. to be that downfield threat, right? He didn't end up being it. Well, you got to go get that guy now. Um, and if Calvin Austin ends up being something, well, you just have two of them. <laughs> That's never a bad thing to have two speed threats. So I think you can be a tight end kind of running back multiple group i'm just not sure if that lends itself to deep playoff runs when you need the explosive play and that's what the 49ers have done really well is they live in that tight end multiple running back kind of committee uh world but when they get explosive they also have that ability to go 11 10 um so as i think as personal multiples you can can be is the better uh because if you can work to 10 personnel good i mean if you can go from 10 to 32 i think that's the ultimate weapon I don't know if you remember, I think it was the last time you was on, it was in the preseason and we were talking about um, the, some of the draft picks and what their potentials were. And, and uh, uh, we had talked about Kenny Pickett and, uh, and everybody agreed that he needed to start the season, you know, on the bench. And, uh, you know, we all had hoped that Trubisky would be able to take that next step in his development after being in Buffalo. But, it just wasn't a good fit. And, uh, you know, he has he had these really good moments, but he also has, you know, high turnover games. And that's been something that's plagued him his whole career. Uh, once he, you know, when handcuffs come off, he's either really spectacular or he's giving the ball away a lot. And, and uh, uh, that the way this team was built, they couldn't afford to do that. Um, but we talked about 
Calvin Austin. Of course, he never got to play. But, you know, how he could be used in them sweeps and, and that speed would have been such a factor. So we really, you know, he's going to be like opening a Christmas present next year because we haven't really got to see him. Um, but I wanted to bring up, because we talked about Connor Hayward. And you, we both agreed that Connor Hayward, it wasn't nepotism. I mean, the, the young man has skills. And he is a glue guy. He's well-rounded. He does everything well. I won't say he's a jack-of-all-trades, but he, you know, he is, to me, a classic H-back. Um, and something that Canada used in his offense before. I, I expected him to have a successful season, and he did. He got stronger as the year went on. My question is, without getting to where I know JB don't want to get a lot into specific player personnel, but, you know, Watt is going to be a free agent. Derek White. And uh, I think that the way Connor Hayward is, uh, he can be an H-back. He can drop back here and he can play some fullback. He can play off-ball tight end. Uh, you know, we see some of the plays he did with that sweep to finish the game. And, and he's got excellent hands. Uh, that was a huge play in that game uh, Sunday uh, on that pass down the scene. Um you know, I know the Steelers are want to make some moves in free agency, try to work out something with Alex Highsmith and and you know Terrell Evans are some guys that they really need to focus on. Do you could you see a possibility of them letting Derek Watt take you know his talents elsewhere and and run with Highsmith there? Yeah, I think they definitely could do that. Um, like Connor Hayward is. A very interesting player. Uh, I guess the way I could say it is, remember how everybody talked about the Swiss Army knife Jalen Samuels was? Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what Connor Hayward actually is. Like, he's what everyone thought Jalen Samuels was. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not really... Like, there's not a really good comparison for Connor Hayward either when you kind of look around the league. Because he's not Kyle Juszczyk. Um, he's mm-hmm. not Pat Ricard. Mm-hmm. And he's really no other fullback. Um, he's very He's very diverse in kind of what he can do. Um, and so the Steelers have a pretty uh, unique player in Connor Hayward. Now, I don't think he's like a super polished blocker yet. I think that's something that he's still working on. So the question is, do you let Derek Watt walk in that case? Well, is Watt really that good of a blocker anyways? Debatable. Yeah. Um, I mean, their best blocker out of their skill group is easily Jack, Zach Gentry. So like he's the gl- guy they got to bring back, right? Um, so if they let Derek Watt walk, I think they can. Um, I don't think he's a necessary piece. Um, special team prowess to me is the reason you bring him back. Um, cause I think Connor Hayward can do most of what Derek Watt does. Um, I just don't see, uh, them letting Watt walk without having a backup plan at fullback. And I say that because that allows them to be more personnel viable. Um, and I know that they, they taught Connor Hayward that a little bit, but I think, the more the season went on, too, he went into the H-back tight end role more. He went less from a H-back fullback to an H-back tight end. And I think that's kind of a big distinction because they split him out wide more often than they put him in fullback this year. And he looked good out wide. There's no doubt about it. He developed a full tight end route tree um, out there. I mean, he was running all the routes Pat Frymuth was running. Um, so I feel like his future is more of like an H-back that can split out to the Y more than it is H-back that can play fullback. Uh, That's just kind of my understanding of it. Um, But yeah, I think they could let Watt walk. I'm just not sure if the the replacement is necessarily Connor Hayward or if the replacement is someone else that would come in. Um, So I think that's something to watch. But I definitely think they could let Derek Watt walk. It's just going to be, I think Connor Hayward's more of a a guy they're going to split out more than they're going to, put in the backfield i the one reason i was suggesting it is i don't i haven't seen the percentages but they didn't use a uh a, a lead back very often uh a blocking back uh you know even in short yardage a lot of times when they went that way they handed off to Derek Watt. you know on a third and one and fourth and one uh you know early in the year and then they started you know bringing him from the side uh and uh but yeah i just no more than they use him as a true lead blocker. You know, I was like, I don't see why Connor Hay- uh, Hayward couldn't take over that role. 
Yeah, I mean, if they want to use him like that, that he can definitely do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like putting him um, in the backfield as like a lead blocker with the three point stance, I'm not sure we see that. But if he wants to be a wing back and and run fullback trap or run any of that or, or any wing back stuff, that's I think fair game um, in terms of using him. But in terms of a traditional eye formation or offset eye, I don't expect that to be him. Um, but they can use they can use a guy like Connor Hayward in a lot of different ways, right? And you can use that type of, of lead block that a fullback would come into in a lot of different ways too. Well, you just if it's an H back, okay, it becomes a wham block. Fine. Um, that can happen. Um, so we'll see. I, it could be a kind of transition role right into kind of what connor hayward would become where it's not really Derek watts role but it's connor hayward's role that has been transformed from Derek watts role and kind of combined with already what he's doing okay just just to uh give you numbers there shan i looked it up because you said you didn't uh know how often he was used there uh Derek watt was used in the backfield like a running back like a like a fullback 34 times of his 77 snaps and uh, the rest of the time, he was out as an H-back. He was actually used as an H-back more than he was used as a fullback. Uh, but it was close to 50-50. So that, that would that would be a significant difference than what Connor Hayward does. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I want to run this past you, Nick. Uh, because I've, I've, I looked up these numbers. Because obviously the offense was much better in the second half of the season than it was in the first half. They, they were driving downfield better. So I, I wanted to look at their per-drive stats, and I've run this past Shannon, but I was shocked by this, okay? So the first eight games, Steelers, uh, this is just their ranking in the league by per-drive stats, right? Their scoring percentage was 31st. Their points per drive, 32nd, last in the NFL. Turnover percentage, 24th, terrible. They punted uh, the 20, like they ranked 29th in your percentage of, of drives that are punts, third highest in the fourth highest in the league, your scoring chance percentage, which is just if you score a touchdown or attempt a field goal, was 29th. Time per, taken up per drive, 23rd. Yards per drive, 31st. They were one of the – a bottom three offense in the NFL for eight games. Second half, this is what shocked me. Scoring percentage goes to eighth in the NFL. Turnovers percentage drops to the third best. They punted on the seventh fewest. Uh, percentage of drives scoring chance percentage second in the nfl time per drive first in the nfl yards per drive third in the nfl they were 11th in points per drive because they missed six field goals and they settled for far too many field goals instead of touchdowns but that's those numbers are all top 10 though and most of them are top three top five kind of offense uh obviously they faced a much easier section but there's some serious like that those are legit numbers uh is that enough to to change the like like i'm i don't even know what to do with those numbers like like what all constitutes that how do you go from worst to one of the best over a bye week right and does mm-hmm. that mean do, do you sit there and you say okay matt canada it worked for half a season well do you give him another season is this is this? I mean, I, I know last year I spent way too much talking about time talking about the real Matt Canada offense, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, I don't want to go back there, and to convincing myself that there's a real Matt Canada offense that's in smoke and mirrors and we haven't seen it yet that could appear and all of a sudden the Steelers are great. Uh, but what what do you make of numbers like that? Well, you have to make it out to be a few things. Um, one the biggest presence to me in this was the offensive line night and day from first half to second half of the year. Um, I think they got much better run blocking from Chuk Sakura for over the second half of the year, which is a welcome development in his game. James Daniels played at a very high level all year. That wasn't surprising. Mason Cole, much better. He finally recovered from a foot injury. Um, Kevin Dotson and Dan Moore weren't bad run blockers. Like they were legitimately serviceable run blockers. And at times, quite frankly, really good run blockers. Uh, That Ravens game, Dan Moore and Kevin Dotson played their best game of the year and they wrecked shop. I mean, that was really impressive. So as a run blocking unit, they came together and played so well on that offensive line. 
just gelled. And, and the one stat I always look to is what they played like 99.5% of the snaps together. They were allowed time to develop together. And I think that's important. I think the second biggest point is people will say they don't matter. Running backs don't matter because they're fungible. Sure. But Najee Harris meant the world to that offense last year. Yeah. And he did in the second half again, his, yeah. you can put their productivity as an offense right with Najee Harris's recovery from that foot injury. I don't care what anyone says. He was not right until after the bye week. That's when Najee Harris finally got healthy and he really ran well. That's the best Najee Harris has looked in his career. He was efficient. That's the big thing. Najee Harris went from a high volume, low efficiency back to a high volume, high efficiency back. And that's where he really made a leap into a top 10 running back in the second half of the season. Um, so those are the two biggest factors. The third biggest factor, Kenny Pickett just got better. Um, rookie quarterbacks don't yeah. always get better. I think that's the biggest welcome sign out of everything. He got better as the season went on. Um, and you looked at Kenny Pickett throughout the season. Remember his first game against the Jets, right? Kind of fluky interceptions. But as the weeks kind of bore on, right, the Eagles game, the Dolphins game, those were really bad games, probably his worst games of the year. Um, but just he ended out off on probably his three best games. I mean, that Baltimore game, I know the stats aren't as good as maybe Indianapolis, um, but I thought that was his best game of the season in terms of just actually making magic happen. He showed real ability that, you know, th these clutch drives that he had, it's not like he was just finding guys that were wide open. Uh, you think about some of the throws he had on those drives. The Steven Sims uh, throw, the the throw rolling out to his left, the Fryer move, um, just all of these kind of throws he made. Uh, the Connor Hayward throw against the Browns, like all of these throws require legitimate talent, and and I think that's also something. And Kenny Pickett became a really efficient quarterback that didn't throw picks and didn't fumble, and so that's kind of where that comes from. And the turnover percentage would be even lower if you eliminate Mitch Trubisky's three picks against Baltimore. Like that wasn't Kenny Pickett, um, yeah. so. You kind of look at that and you honestly wonder, well, if Kenny Pickett plays that full first game against Baltimore, they probably win that game, to be quite honest with you. Um, so I think those are the three biggest factors. Is all of it related to Matt Canada, though? I don't think the scheme got markedly better. Um, he tried to lose them that second Ravens game in Baltimore, probably his worst called game of the season. Uh, the play sequencing in that one was an absolute disaster. Um I think you have to give him some credit, of course, but I don't think Matt Canada made some drastic change um, in the bye week that was like, this is what happens. I think the personnel got better. Um, and I think Matt Canada, again, I don't think Matt Canada is like this ultra awful offensive coordinator that everyone thinks he is. I just think he's thoroughly subpar and mediocre, and he doesn't really do all that much to raise the guys around him. And he does so he doesn't really raise your floor. He doesn't really raise your ceiling either. Um, so he's just kind of there. And so if the players are playing really well, the offense is going to work really well. It's pretty basic stuff. Um, outside zone paired with a little bit of counter and in and, and power. Um, and then in the passing game, it's really just a bunch of rollouts and, and some uh, and some shot plays in there. Um, the drop back game is very basic. Um, so it, it's really not a crazy scheme. Um, he, his offense has remained very static. Um, and, and people will always point to this. I always look at like Andy Reid's offense and Kyle Shanahan's offense. They have blatantly stolen Matt Canada's concepts. Mm -hmm. So why doesn't Matt Canada's offense work? It's because those schemes have evolved over time and have taken stuff from other trees, right? For example, uh, Shanahan has stolen stuff from Andy Reid's old playbook. Um, they look back as far as Bill Walsh to steal it and just feels like Matt Canada's offense has been like this since like 2010, um, which is fine, but it's not it's not an exceptional offense um, schematically wise. And he's not his scheme is fine enough. He's just not a very good play caller, though, on game day either. So he's really just a mediocre offense coordinator. Is he really as bad as some people say he is? No, but he's really nothing to be written home about either. So to me, yes, you have all of those growth points, but how much of those growth points are actually to scheme? Yeah. Najee Harris getting healthy, is that really much to scheme? Kenny Pickett getting used to the, the speed of the NFL? The offensive line finally gelling after having injuries all of training camp? 
Are those really Matt Canada's kind of credit? I don't really think so. Um, but if they keep him, that's exactly what you stick to, right? Oh, the second half was great. I mean, we feel like we can be good with this guy again. But the, again, the reason why I wouldn't keep Matt Canada, I don't see how he helps Kenny Pickett's growth into his career in the future. I don't think he actively helps Kenny Pickett reach from where he is now to the next level he has in his game. And that's what he has to focus on this offseason. Kenny Pickett has to go from where he is now to a better version of that. All right. That's a great place, actually, for us to leave off here. We're going to go to a, a quick quick break. Shannon is chomping at the bit there. Uh, but we will, we will take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Priceline. And we're back, folks. <laughs> Welcome back here to uh, uh, Know Your Enemy. Shannon, I know you've been chomping at the bit. I, you, you, were, you were getting excited with Nick talking about Matt Cannon and Kenny Pickett, so I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, sir. Well, what I wanted to say is we were talking about it today in a discussion thread. When If Matt Canada, if and when he is no longer with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, he will no longer be in the NFL. There is nobody else. Uh, who is going to hire him, uh, especially as an offensive coordinator or anything else. I joke that maybe the Cleveland Browns will be looking for a head coach. And, you know, they might, you know, pull a, and try to talk to him about that. But he, he is not NFL quality, in my opinion. Um, his limitations are setting the ceiling for what this offense can become next year. Because if he comes back, they will still progress with Kenny Pickett and Harris and all this young talent on offense, but it will set a ceiling until they bring in somebody more capable, in my opinion. Um, I totally agree with what Nick said, that the offensive line in the second half of the season accepted the challenge. They improved drastically this season. You know, we've been begging for this for the last two years, and they really put it together uh, this year. The only thing I would differ is, yes, Harris got healthy. But if you watch the first half of the season and you watch the second half of the season, there's a huge difference in the way Harris ran the ball. His commitment to stay north and south. Now, what I mean by that is there was too many times in the first part of the season, and a lot of that's because they were playing better teams, better defenses, stronger defensive lines, and there would be a lot of trash in his feet when he got up near the line of scrimmage. And he would completely stop and try to go east to west. And it would naturally, because, you know, there was a lot of trash there. Whereas I thought, and I'd said all along, that if he would just keep that momentum at 6'2", 250 pounds almost, you know, he's going to get the three yards that's there. Sometimes you just got to take the three. But he would stop and he would get nothing. And then if you watch the second half of the season, especially the last three games, and I know you all noticed this, when there was some trash at his feet, he didn't hurdle them, but he just, full speed, he just kind of stepped over them. And it kept his momentum moving forward. So those nothing to three-yard runs were becoming six- and seven-yard runs. And he did that I don't know how many times. And I would point it out, if he stops his momentum – like, there was one run. It was incredible. He got up to the line, and he, he didn't stop, but he leaned his whole body to, to be able to go to cut back in the other direction. I don't know how he kept his balance uh, in that Ravens game and got down right at the goal line, almost scored a touchdown. But, I mean, it was like Matrix stuff. But it, it, his, his mindset was that he kept his momentum and he stayed aggressive running north and south. Um, I thought that coupled with the offensive line, they go hand in hand. The offensive line had some times in the season where they was holes and, and people were pointing it out saying, Harris missed that. You know, and people were questioning his vision, saying, was he going to be a, a Richardson-type bust, 
you know, instead of being a Derrick Henry, was he going to be a Trent Richardson? And, you know, you actually had to start wondering. But as you said, he got healthy, got the bye week, and then the recommitment of that offensive line. But I do believe that a lot of his success in that second half had to do with a change uh, in his mentality. We also seen uh, Jalen Warren in the second half of the season. I mean, he's never going to be your power inside guy, but he has a little power there, and he gets so low and he can hide very well. But, you know, behind those linemen, he looked really good running the ball, uh, you know, a lot of times in that relief role and in, in the second half of the season. Do you – I wanted to ask you this. Like, my opinion – I think Mason Cole was such a huge upgrade this year that he was the the best free agent. I knew James Daniels, we talked about it, was going to be a really good player. But to me, Mason Cole exceeded expectation because not only was he fundamentally sound, but he was a great communicator and he had great leadership. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, they could maybe do an upgrade there. I do not think the center is an area they need to focus on. I think they could upgrade on Mason Cole. Um, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player. Um, so if like a Creed Humphrey-ish type came around, sure. Um, but there's no one in the draft this year that's quite like that. Although it's probably the best center draft that we have had in like five years, um, which is pretty cruel irony for the Steelers. Um, just saying, um, but absolutely. Mason Cole had the biggest upgrade value compared to who they had at center last year. Cause Kendrick green was in Najee Harris's lap all last year. Right. Um, so absolutely. Mason Cole. I mean, you went from probably the worst center in the NFL to a very middle of the pack serviceable and at times, frankly, good center. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Could they get better center play? Sure. Um, but Mason Cole really isn't like a focus of upgrade, I think, this offseason. Maybe like two or three years down the line when he's, you know, asking for a new contract and all that, that's when you kind of bring it up. But he's still young. Um, and, and right now, I think we all would agree that left tackle and left guard are far more pressing needs mm-hmm. than center. Um, I think that center is probably the third biggest need on the line right now. Because Chuksa Korofor actually became a really good right tackle this year. So yeah. – I think they've got their right tackle entrenched to Chooks. Um, and I think they have their right guard entrenched. I think James Daniels is really good. Um, so I think they have a two-fifths of a really good O-line. I think they have three-fifths of a very serviceable O-line. What are you going to do with the left side, though? Um, and, and this is kind of where the O-line still gets in my crosshairs is too many times in the second half of the year, Kenny Pickett had to make something out of nothing because the O-line was a liability in pass protection. Um, they just aren't good enough there. I think Dan Moore ideally is a really good serviceable swing tackle in this league. He's a really serviceable player that I think you can play at left tackle at right tackle. Heck, I think you honestly, this is a move I've been thinking about. I think Dan Moore could be a pretty good guard in this league. Um, I think he kind of has the profile to do it. Um, but I don't know what they're kind of going to do at that spot. But I think left tackle is still the singular biggest need on this team um, going into the future. I think they need a guy there um, that they can kind of hinge on. And then Dotson was just so inconsistent all year. Uh, He would have flashes of really good games, and then he'd just have flat-out unplayable uh, games. So that inconsistency on that left side still worries me um, a lot. But I think Mason Cole in particular brought a calming presence they needed. Um, and he's a guy that is a good communicator. Good, uh, He's a good run blocker, and he's a steady enough pass protector. He's not an elite pass protector. There are times where he can get pushed back. But rarely did I ever point out and say he's a liability. Sometimes I would point out and say they could do better than that, but he is absolutely not a point of focus um, right now, I would say. Um, I, I, just, I just look at that line right now and say, you're building something. It's not all there yet, but you're starting to get there, right? And I think that starts with a left tackle and a left guard. Um, and, and I think you bring them in for competition. I, I think you see kind of what Dan Moore can do against a, a veteran type um, at that position. And I think you see, you know, you bring in a left guard maybe uh, through the draft or a left tackle through the draft. Kind of you could flip them however you want. Um, and I think you see kind of what happens there. 
um, because I, I think that's really the focus of the line heading into this offseason. Um, but I would, I would, I would be targeting in the first round. I don't really go in with positions because um, I like the best player available kind of track, right? Um, I think that's the best track to work with in this NFL. Um, but if I were to point out a position that I would want to scout heavily, I would definitely point at offensive tackle. Still, all right. I want to. I want to go to Pat Meyer a bit here because we're we're talking about the offensive line. It was so bad to start. Ended the season. I'd say probably the best offensively line we've had since, you know, the group Munchak coached kind of broke up and fell apart here a couple years ago. Obviously, that group was great. Uh, but this group was, was, like you said, serviceable, right? We haven't had kind of a league average offensive line for a few years here uh, after having that really good one for so long. And I want I to talk about Pat Meyer a bit because one of the things I talked about with him when he came in is he had this consistent record of – going to a team with a Pro Bowl running back and cutting their carries substantially while still getting good production from them. Or at least like their percentage of the run game would drop. They would touch the ball less, but they would still have great yardage. Now, Najee Harris didn't follow in the steps of like Melvin Gordon, those guys, and actually make the Pro Bowl in this season. First half of the year really was probably the reason for that. Uh, but I-, I wanted to bring this up. First half of the year... Second of the year, Najee Harris was right around 55% of team runs was Najee Harris, right around 55%. Last year, it was 75%. They took a huge chunk of that off. And while often that goes to the offensive coordinator, people say, well, that's like Matt Canada did that. To me, that's that's kind of a Pat Meyer thing. Like everywhere he goes, that happens. The Steelers brought him here and saw the exact same thing happen where Najee Harris touched the ball less and his efficiency was better, especially if you just look at the second half of the season. If you just look after after the bye week, uh, that, that would have been, if he, if he did that the whole season, it would have been 1,279 yards and 11 touchdowns, and he's in the Pro Bowl, right? You'd have that Pro Bowl even with him being sharing the load a lot more. Uh, is like how how key to this is like an offense coordinator because it's interesting to me to see Matt Canada you know and then all of a sudden Matt Canada's offense they find a coordinator who does the same kind of fits the offense that Matt Canada runs that scheme style and then all of a sudden you see all these results happen uh where would you where do you put an an offensive line coach in there like we've seen that with Munchak and now we now we're kind of seeing it here with Pat Meyer how important is an offensive line coach and compared to like an offensive coordinator? Well, the, the offensive line coach is usually the de facto run game coordinator. Sometimes it's the run, it's the running back coach, but not in this offense. It's Pat Meyer. And that was like one of the actual things I took from Mike Tomlin's press conference on Monday when, you know, he was asked about Brian Flores, contributions defensively. He get, he went out of his way to let everybody know Pat Meyer was very instrumental offensively. And so I think you place a lot of it on him, right? Because he understood what his offensive line did really well. And what was that? Well, that was really they're really good wide zone team this year in a mid zone team. And so they went away from more of the inside zone split zone stuff um, that they were using at times. Even quite honestly, uh, you looked at like maybe the first two or three weeks of the year, they were really heavy inside zone split zone. After that, they kind of shifted. Um, to a more wide zone scheme. And it took them kind of four or five weeks to really get used to it. Um, And then they really hit the ground running after um, the bye week on that shift. Um, So I kind of look at Pat Meyer and that's a credit to him. Um, I think you also look at that kind of switch of backs. I don't know if that's a Pat Meyer thing. I think, honestly, I think that's a Mike Tomlin thing. Um, I go to the very head of the table with this one. And, And the reason I say that is, because Najee Harris came in a training camp and he said, this offseason they sat me down and they said, you're not playing as much as you were last year. We cannot run the trade off your tires this early in your career. I think that's a Mike Tomlin thing. And I think Mike Tomlin maybe has finally seen the error of his ways, right? He'd never been <laughs> a, uh, he had never been a running back by committee guy. He'd always been a lead dog. Um, every, you look at his, usage of guys throughout his career really never used a committee even when he had that kind of dependable second guy in d'angelo williams 
Williams didn't really play that much. He, I know Lev Bell was so good, but they didn't even put in packages to get D'Angelo Williams on the field, um, and they they didn't switch it up. This year was kind of the very first time you could say where they had a guy that would have been a lead back not be a lead back. And, and just look at these numbers here. You shared some of them, um, but his snap share last year, 85%. Um, he was on the field for 85% of the Steelers' offensive snaps in 2021, by far the most in the NFL. David Montgomery was second at 72% that year, 13% more than the closest guy. This year, 65%, 11th in the NFL. That's a very welcome change. And Najee Harris didn't get as many touches this year. And that is kind of the threshold. Um, I, I wrote an article about how I think Jalen Warren specifically is going to extend Najee Harris's career. Because you look at the threshold between college and NFL touches and what's kind of the point where elite, and I want to say elite running backs fall off. It's about 3,000 touches. Is Najee Harris an elite running back? I think that's debatable at this point. I think we're going to have to see a little bit more. I think he's definitely got the potential to be there. But I'm talking about elite. I'm talking about the top, Ladanian Tomlinson's, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Dalvin Cook's, the Nick Chubb's, right? It takes them about that much until they start to really decrease. Well, Najee Harris coming in this year was very close to about half of that. Now, it cuts sharply. I mean, just decreasing his touches by 50 every year is going to add years to Najee Harris's viability. And I think that's so huge because they took a running back in a really weird spot of the franchise where they were trying to run this back with Ben one more time. And then they kind of transitioned into this new era and it could have been very feasible that by the time Kenny Pickett and this team were ready to kind of run out of the station and go to the Super Bowl, right, that Najee Harris wouldn't have been good anymore. Like, that was a very real option. They keep doing this, he will be. I think it's a Mike Tomlin thing. I think Pat Meyer deserves a ton of credit for the schematics, the adjustments. Um, they looked so bad early in the year because they were trying to learn his philosophy. I think that was the biggest thing. I don't think they were comfortable with – the jump sets, the aggressive independent hands that they were using. It was a new philosophy from what Adrian Clem did, who kind of sat back and did more, uh, you know, traditional kind of 45 sets. Um, the guards really were aggressive and, and pass pro this year. I think that's new for them, but they really adopted it well. Uh, he clearly got his stuff through to them, and they learned, and they were diligent in doing that. I think that all the credit in the world – I remember back in training camp, I made the observation that they didn't do many reps in individual drills. It was maybe three or four reps, and that those periods are 20 minutes long. So you can imagine they should probably be getting more than that, right? Clem had them going 25, 30 even sets of these. Um, but really what it ended up being was three or four, and Pat Meyer would just sit there, explain what to do, and then have them do it. And that was kind of, I think, really, really important. I think that's kind of how – he figured it out maybe throughout the offseason, maybe it was through OTAs and minicamps. Maybe he figured out these guys are going to learn more if I just show them and teach them. And I think that's a mark of a really good coach. Um, his like his resume coming into this year over the past few years wasn't that sterling, but you look back at some of his successes in Buffalo uh, in the past, San, uh, in, his, in Los Angeles. I mean, there, there are good things there. Um, on his resume. So I think it's a credit to Pat Meyer, um, just kind of cooking up that whole run game. And then I think it's a credit to Mike Tomlin for, for adapting um, to the new kind of wave of how you shouldn't be running your running backs into the ground. Um, you can't let Najee Harris foil out before your quarterback is going to get to the level where you maybe can make a championship run. I mean, that's a wasted pick at that point. That 2021 pick is wasted. And so, I don't, I even to this day, I don't agree with taking Najee Harris in that first round. It didn't make that much sense. Um, but if you're going to make the pick, you better make sure Najee Harris plays as long as he can and can be as, as effective for as long as he can. I think they're doing that. I think that's the smart thing to do in this kind of role overall. Yeah, I think they kind of done it backwards. Uh, you know, the Bengals did. And I think the Steelers are kind of doing it too. Um, Canada kind of let the foundations crumble and, you know, because they didn't spend the draft capital, the early round draft capital uh, on the offensive and defensive lines, which is something I think has to change the Steelers. You know, you look at it, the youngest offense in the league, the cheapest offense in the league, and they've got so much potential, but they're, they're top heavy. And the fact, you know, especially with the way the caps is spread out, 
you know, they got the most expensive defense because you got TJ Hayward and Fitzpatrick. But the defense needs, in my opinion, it needs to be a defensive focused offseason because they got to get younger and stronger on the defensive line. They got to upgrade an inside linebacker, definitely. And they need a quarterback one. But if you look at the, the way this team is set right now, if they could do that and improve that offensive line, they can be a contender again quickly if they hit on these early picks and in free agency. Those frugal picks like, you know, pickups like James Daniels, Mason Cole, you know, you know, that was so many teams overspend and the Steelers brought in quality, young experience at, you know, very team-friendly prices. So I think they're set up in a very good situation. Um. I wanted to ask your opinion on this. We have, I've talked that the AFC has the elite quarterbacks in this playoffs, whereas the NFC has the elite rosters. And, you know, you have the big three, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, and Joe Burrows, and then you have the Eagles and the Niners in the NFC. Uh, if the Eagles or the Niners win the Super Bowl, I think you're going to see a, a shift and how teams want to uh, try to build their rosters and, uh, you know, try to get that foundation strong on both sides, build a complete roster without any big holes, and then try to find your quarterback. And if Kenny Pickett does prove to be the answer, the Steelers could be a lot farther along in this development. Um, Based on what you've seen so far, how far do you think the Steelers are off from contending? Yeah, I mean – they're not that far off. I think very easily they could be an offense. I think they could be a playoff team very easily next year. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have been this year, obviously. A um, few more breaks their way, they get they are they're in the playoffs. If TJ Watts doesn't get hurt, they're in the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. That's quite frankly what I would say. Would they make much noise in those playoffs? Probably not. Um, but they'd be in them. Um, so they're not that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at kind of this team and and I point to a few things you kind of have a big conundrum here because year one to year two, in my opinion, is the most important offseason for a young quarterback. So you want to surround Kenny Pickett with as much talent as you want. So do you go spend the money on a, a franchise left tackle or a left guard that might be out there? Do you sign a, a receiver? I don't know. What What if Michael Thomas gets released? Do you, do you bring in Michael Thomas from – from New Orleans, so do you bring in Juju Smith-Schuster? You know, maybe a guy that's going to cost more at receiver um, because you want to surround your quarterback with as much talent, which brings me to my second point. <laughs> I think they are going to focus defensively in free agency and why they just have more needs there, and that will free up the early picks to be offensive-focused and s- surrounding your quarterback with talent. Um, I, I think that, first of all, the biggest need defensively right now is linebacker. Um, mm-hmm. Is it the most important need? No. Is it the most pressing need? Yes. Um, you have Robert Spillane, a free agent. You have Devin Bush, a free agent. And Miles Jack is due a lot of cash. I don't know if they're going to keep Miles Jack. I think he's a very realistic guy that they could potentially cut. Well, if you mm-hmm. do that, all you have left is Mark Robinson because Marcus Allen's also a free agent. So four of your five top linebackers coming to the season are free agents mark robinson fun player i think he's like vince williams jr which is cool um i think he's a piece of the future but he's only one guy i think first of all you bring back spillane um i know people i said i suggested that last week and people were like you're really bringing back robert spillane he's not that good but he's serviceable at least mm-hmm. i mean he is serviceable enough and he's a really good special team so yeah bring back robert spillane Bush is gone. I don't think Bush nor the Steelers mutually want each other back. And then Miles Jack, what do you do there? If you cut him, well, I think you try to bring him back at a cheaper price um, if you can. Or you could keep him and extend him. I think that's kind of an interesting option. Do you try to extend Miles Jack? Um, because he was really good the first half of the year. Then he suffered that groin injury, and it was just um, – But he, that groin never recovered once he kind of suffered in like week 10, week 11-ish. Um, so it's, I think Miles Jack's a really tough evaluation because that first half of the year, he was really good. And that second half, he was just, it, it was hard to play him because he could barely move. 
Um, so I don't know what they do with Miles Jack. I think an extension with Miles Jack is actually a very intriguing possibility. Gives him flexibility, lowers his cap hit, kind of figures out that linebacker room a little bit more. But I think they got to sign one um, outside of their guys, but they also have to retain a lot of guys on that side. Uh, you have to bring back Terrell Edmonds. You have to bring back Cam Sutton. Cam Sutton to me, I, I don't care what you do this offseason. If I were Omar Khan right now, priority number one, I would be calling up Cam Sutton's agent, period. He was this team's de facto number one corner, and he was really, really good this year. I think you have to bring him back. He's your corner two. Levi Wallace settled in quite nicely as your corner three. Um, so I think you have corner one and corner two. I think you have corner two and corner three. You need corner one. I don't think you're going to find that in free agency. I think that's a draft uh, need more than anything. Um, and, and, I mean, the, the crop of free agents at corner doesn't really lend itself either um, to a worthy guy there. D-line, though, is very interesting. This is where I think the Steelers could make their splash signing of the offseason. And it really comes through one name. I, I have to imagine that they'd be very interested in bringing back Jay Wobble, Javon Hargrave. I really do. <laughs> um, it makes sense, right? Uh, it really does make a lot of sense for them. Tyson Alulu fell off a cliff. They'd get the nose tackle mm -hmm. that they need. And I, I think that he would be a worthy signing. I think there's a scenario where they bring in Hargrave and re-sign Larry Ogunjobi, who I think would not be a bad re-signing at all. I think Ogunjobi was one of kind of those unheralded heroes over the second half of the year who played really well and on a really bad toe injury, by the way, that never really fully recovered, and he still played very well. Um, so I think that's where they make their splash signing. I could view them going into the offseason and signing that linebacker, signing a corner, just a cheaper corner for depth purposes. Maybe like bring back William Jackson the third on a cheaper deal or something like that. They could do that. Um, and, and they could easily address their defensive needs for the most part. And then that opens up the first round to tackle wide receiver. If they want to take Jordan Addison, that is how you do it. Right? Like that's how you do it. Like you address your defensive needs. I knew you was gonna say that. Like that's I mean, like legitimately speaking. If they are, if they want to draft Jordan Addison, and that is like, and I'm talking about helping your quarterback. Well, how about his top wide receiver weapon from college, who is legitimately probably exactly what you need at wide receiver? That could make sense. Um, but it also frees up you to take, in my opinion, uh, someone like Roderick Jones, Peter Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, and you don't feel bad about passing up on like cam smith or or joey porter jr because well your cornerback situation isn't as dire right um so i i feel like there are options there um so i think they're close i just think they kind of have to go about this very strategically and they have to decide which avenue they want to go by do they want to help their quarterback in free agency with veterans so do they want to sign the receiver in the in the o lineman in free agency and then just make that draft very heavily kind of focused in on on their young guys or are they kind of more defensively focused? I think that'll kind of showcase itself. I am more of the thought that you should probably address the defense because you have the, the older guys there already that can kind of stick in there and the younger guys offensively that would come in. So you may, I don't even care. I'm not even going to be, if, even if it's not Addison, if it's like Jackson Smith and then Jigba or, Rasheed Rice or someone like that. Um, like you have those young guys grow together and then they just become a nucleus and they kind of warp around each other. Um, so I, I am of the thought that they are very close to being where they need to be, all predicated on the fact that Kenny Pickett must take that step. Mm -hmm. And I say that because there is one key thing Kenny Pickett has to work on. He needs to be better in structure. He needs to be able to stand in the pocket and read a defense and surgically repair through it. Like this is the biggest thing to me that jumped up immediately from Joe Burrow's junior tape to his senior tape. His instructure ability was fantastic. And that's what makes Joe Burrow so special. Dak Prescott, very similar way where he has made his leaps over his career has been in structure. Patrick Mahomes in structure, Josh Mahomes. I mean, Josh, I guess she's Josh Mahomes, but Josh Allen, um, in structure, um, they, this is where all these guys make their leaps. Jalen Hurts, in structure. He was always a really good runner and able to create out of structure. Jalen Hurts is a much better pocket passer now this year. 
you have to still be able to create in structure in today's NFL. Kenny Pickett hasn't been able to consistently do it just yet. He's got the out of structure ability. I think he's got more arm talent than people give him credit for. So he's got a lot of things working for him. Can he get better in structure? If he does, I think he's going to ascend into the Jalen Hurts tier kind of of players, right? Um, that's, I think, the biggest thing. And I think your kind of point of, well, the 49ers are Eagles win this year. And Kenny Pickett could reach, certainly he can reach Brock Purdy level. Um, you could argue if he's in that San Francisco offense right now, he could be better than Brock Purdy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so could he reach Jalen Hurts' level next year? Sure. If he gets better in structure, I think that's the question. And so you're going to see the balance pushed in the NFC of who can you win with and kind of what fit can you win with? Can you win with a Geno Smith and a Daniel Jones and a, a Brock Purdy? Can you win with those guys? Can you win? I'll even throw Jalen Hurts in there. Jalen Hurts is better than any of those guys I just named, but he's still kind of on that bridge, right? Is he a bona fide franchise quarterback yet, or is he kind of in that 11, 12 range where you're like, good, but is he going to be that bona fide franchise guy yet? Um, I think that Kenny can reach that level, and I think that's kind of where the Steelers kind of have to to sizzle it through. Um, they can help him as much as they want. They can help the defense as much as they want. Nothing is more important than seeing next year on week one tape, Kenny Pickett winning in structure, period. Everyone will lose sight of it. That's the most important thing that needs to happen this offseason. I'll throw in real quick that the Steelers had a quarterback – Similar with a similar issue to that, that he did not like going plays in structure when Mike Tomlin uh, took over the Pittsburgh Steelers back in 2007. Uh, and he's been through that process. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him try and, and, and take another quarterback and uh, kind of put them into a structured system and teach them how to do it. Uh, but that's, I mean, we saw that with Ben Roethlisberger. Like you said, all those other guys made that. Ben Roethlisberger was that guy, 100%. Who he'd, you'd snap the ball to him and he'd be like, well, let's just wait till your play ends. And then I'll <laughs> run around a bit, throw somebody to the ground and find, you know, Heinz Ward three seconds after the play ended. Uh, so they, they've been through that before. And it'll be interesting to see him try and do it again. Uh, we, we need to get, we need to kind of wrap up our show here. It's been great having you on here, Nick. Uh, if, if you want, if you would, if you would uh, let everyone know how they can uh, find your stuff, where they can read your content anything you're on yeah um feel free to follow me at Farabelle fb that's my last name fb you can read my stuff at steelers now right in there daily i'm bringing out a lot of content um for the the obviously free agency but draft will be here soon enough combine senior bowl you know all that good stuff so make sure to check it out all right again thank you so much for being a guest here today it's been an absolutely great show make sure you guys check that out steelers now dot com Faribaugh fb Faribaugh football and on twitter always good stuff uh hey jimmy oh. it it's fireball <laughs> <laughs> he shannon. loves pitbull oh, my oh boy shannon's been waiting to do that all show all right uh for shannon myself and for nick uh thank you for listening thank you to everyone who commented in the live chat As always, have a great week, and let's go Steelers. 